Blessed by the worship this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Can I encourage you to do something? Um, I felt this the last couple of Sundays. You know, uh, it just feels awkward after hearing a certain kind of sermon or a certain kind of service just to be like, oh, well, it's, we're done and church is over and let's walk. It just feels weird. Anybody else? Sometimes you just want to just sit. You know, I had a guy come visit it last Sunday. He said, I just wanted to just sit here and just kind of just, just be, you know. And we're American Christians, so we're trained. Like, well, 11.30 or in, in our case, whenever Peter decides to finish. <laughs> 11, you know, we just kind of like sing the song. Like, it, and I, it, it just feels weird to me. Because I don't think that's how the Holy Spirit works. It's just kind of like, you know, Holy Spirit, I have a lunch appointment at noon, so I need to. Sometimes he's just like, just sit. Just sit, you know. So I just want to, just at the end of today or at any point, like just, just feel free to to listen. We are talking about discipleship. Anybody get excited talking about discipleship? Yes. <laughs> We're talking about discipleship because you can't read the New Testament and realize that's what Jesus is about. The New Testament is about. New Testament is written by disciples, for disciples, about discipleship. Jesus did a handful of things to the crowds, but he spent his three years, three years in his life on earth, primarily doing what? Making disciples, apprentices, learners, students of him. He spent and poured out his life doing that. And at the very end, before he ascends to the Father, he says, now I want you to what? make disciples. So the question that we've been asking in this journey is, are you doing that? Am I doing that? I'm not asking, are you doing some good things? Are you doing justice work? Are you doing Bible study? Those are great things that, as I said, can lead to discipleship. But are you discipling? Are you making disciples? Do you have a handful of intentional, consistent relationships with folks where as you're learning how to follow Jesus, you're teaching them how to follow Jesus? Can I just tell you something? Ask anybody that's done this Christian life for any length of period. You only grow when you help other people grow. Let me say that again. I've yet to meet a Christian who says, you know what, I grew spiritually without helping someone else grow. Do you know why? Because when you walk with somebody, help them grow, here's what happens. They'll say stuff like, uh, that's great. Can you show me what that looks like? All of a sudden, accountability goes way up because you can't just talk about it. You have to live it. Then I ask you questions like, can you, can you, wh why does God do that? Or what is that all about? And, and honestly, you go, I don't know, but let me go find out and come back to. See, it goes, are you helping anybody else grow? Are there people in your life that you're walking with? Because I, I'm telling you, I'm telling some of us have had a ceiling spiritually, and we've been in church all of our lives. My question to you is, who are you helping, say it with me, grow? And it's interesting to me in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, he makes it clear. Here's why I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, so that you could be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Holy Spirit is given to those who are in mission making disciples. So if you're like, you know what, Holy Spirit, I try making disciples and I guarantee you, you'll encounter the Holy Spirit. I, how do we miss this? There's a crisis of discipleship in the church 
in the modern church, Western church, American church, let me be clear. Because there's parts of this world, China, go to China, underground church, they are making disciples without buildings, without pastors, without programs. Go to Africa, go to South America. In America, buildings, programs, services. Remember what I said first week? If you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you focus on making the church, you rarely get disciples. What are we doing? Where are we, church? It's funny to me that we live in a day and age where, where I literally talk to people who are like, I don't need to be a disciple to be a Christian. And I'm going, but Jesus never made that distinction. What do you mean? You, you, know, you could be a Christian. Jesus said disciple is a Christian. Is a, they go to get, you can't go, well, discipleship is for, you know, super Christians, people that are really serious about Jesus, people that are really committed. No, disciple is what Jesus calls us to. He doesn't make a distinction like some of us can be disciples. He says, you want to follow me? Yeah, I'd be a disciple. I think part of the reason, and remember we talk about unlearning things in our church a lot, deconstructing things. I think part of this is because, someone said this, what you win people with is ultimately what you win them to. So what do we win people with? I, you know, I'm just overgeneralizing, but I think some of us in large parts of evangelicals, it was something like this. Somebody came to you and said, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? Now, I don't want to knock that because that's how I came to faith, okay? So I don't want to knock that, okay? So he heaven, fire insurance, that's how I came to faith, right? But here's the thing, though. But, but, but the end goal of that was Jesus came to forgive me of my sins, which is incredible, so that I can go to heaven. The problem is that's not the gospel Jesus preached. That's not the gospel Jesus preached. What did gospel? Mark 1. Here's what Mark 1 says. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. His words, by the way, this sermon series can be titled The Unedited Version of Jesus. Okay? Good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. His message, listen, was the kingdom is here. The rule and reign of God is here. And you can enter that rule and reign of God. The kingdom message is what Jesus preached. Jesus has come. His kingdom. Here's the other thing, though. He didn't just say the kingdom of God has come to earth to restore, renew everything, us and God, us to each other creation. He then goes, the kingdom of God is also where? He, within you. What? He said, no, 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 the rule and reign of God that Jesus ushers in through his life, death, and resurrection. It's not just here, renew, restore everything, but it is, now watch this, it's coming in you. So let's get two things really clear. Number one, Christianity is not moral reformation, it's total transformation. Christianity is not, oh, you become a Christian, you become a better version of you, Peter 2.0. No, he says, you become a new creation. Hell. Else, else, that's gone. That's dead. You become new. Whew. He says, the ruler. Yeah, but secondly, though, becoming a Christian is inviting the rule and reign of God into our lives where we submit and yield and surrender everything to that rule and reign. Did you hear what I just said? We're inviting the rule and reign of God. Remember why I said this? Some of us, when we became a Christian, we did this. Jesus, I wanna invite, I wanna invite you into my life. Jesus, I wanna accept you into my heart. Remember what I said? There's no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament. There's no prayer that says, Jesus, I want. And what, but here's what happens. We go, I want to invite you. So here's what happens. We go, Paul says in Colossians 1, here's what Christianity is. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We go, I am transferring you, Jesus, into what? My kingdom. 
which means my life doesn't change. My priorities don't change. My agenda doesn't change. My life goals, they don't change. I need you to get on board with, here's what I said. Remember, Jesus is not some puny poor savior looking for anybody's acceptance. He is the risen Lord and King deserving of everyone's praise. I decided to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. He doesn't need you to decide. He is Lord and Savior whether you make him your Lord or not. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Hello, anybody? Anybody with me this morning? Anybody? See how radically different this is from American Christianity? Wow. Christianity is nothing less than following Jesus with the totality of who we are. There is no accept and invite. And by the way, by the way, I'm not knocking that prayer if you, that's how you became Christian. But, but listen very carefully. There's an enormous difference between inviting Jesus into the context of your life to get on board with you and you saying, I will submit and surrender everything to your Lordship. The unedited Jesus. This is one of the reasons why, as I said, people in America think you could believe in Jesus without following Jesus. When again, Jesus made no distinction. Let me, let me show you how prevalent this is in America. You go to sporting events, okay, football events, you'll see this, some dude, right? Oh, say this together, okay? We all know this. Let's just say this together. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believed in him shall have we all know we all know have you ever been at a sporting event where someone held up a sign with this Luke 9 23 because yes. <laughs> you know what Luke time do you know what Luke 9 23 says if anyone wants to come after me let him deny himself carry the cross daily and follow me you'll never see that sign here's the listen you cannot have John 3 16 without Luke 9 23 You cannot have believe in me without follow me. You can't. I can't. By the way, just for context, John 3.16 is in one gospel, Gospel of John, Luke 9.23, three out of the four gospels. I don't, I don't, what do you think was more important? Believing entails following. Jesus says, you want to, you want to follow me? It's on my terms, not yours. It's on my terms. <laughs> my wife, who's like the most honest person ever, right? Last week, because it felt heavy last week, you know, because this is heavy. Some of you are like, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable already. Just Lean into the pain. It's good for you, okay? Jenny goes, Jenny goes, I said, what'd you think of this sermon? She goes, it was phenomenal. It was really good, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm like, that is an honest, honest woman right there. It's good. No, it's clear. It's so clear. But Peter, I struggle wanting to do it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody? The, the problem is not lack of clarity. The problem is, so here's what I want to do. Today, we're simply just going to look at that one verse, Luke 9, 23. I'm just going to break it down because I want to, because Jesus was explicit, clear all the time. Here's what it means. Here's what it means to follow. Okay, now, so for many of us, listen, many of us who are doubting our salvation, oh, I have you right where I want you to be. Some of you are going, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. You are exactly where I need you to be because here's the thing. Here's the thing. It is too important that you not get this. You need to know exactly what it is that you're signing on to say, I am a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here. Because you know why? Oftentimes you go to church, and sometimes church could seem like any other practical, helpful seminar, you know? But today, if you're going, what is Christianity? You'll hear really clearly what Christianity is what it entails when you say, follow this, follow this rabbi, follow this teacher. And if you came with a friend, uh, 
during lunch, ask them about some questions you may have, okay? And hopefully, they'll be able to walk this journey with you. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Expectations. First, good news. Good news. Good news. He says, if anyone. And anyone means everyone. Is this good news to anybody? Man. By the way, remember what I said last week? I I had a couple Caucasian fellas come to me last week and say, I want to say amen, but I just couldn't do it. Again, I said, be freed, be freed, white fella. Be freed, white fella. If anyone anyone means everyone, if anyone means everyone, that means that there are no pre-qualifications to following Jesus. That means the invitation is inclusive. That means the invitation is open to anybody. Is that good news? But by the way, if you are somebody sitting here this morning, listen, listen, please, and you're going, oh, no, 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 no. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know places I've been to. You don't know the people I've been with. That whole following invitation, it's for somebody else but not for me. I'm going to tell you something. If you hear a voice inside your head that says, forgiveness is for them but not for you. Hope is for them but not for you. Redemption is for them not for you. You need to know the source of that. That's not God. That's the evil one. If you need a voice that says, this whole following Jesus, I'm not qualified. It's for someone. I need you to know right now, God says, it is for you. It is for you. When I was in sixth grade, um, I'd been in the country for a couple of years. I used to draw. I loved drawing. And my sixth grade homeroom teacher, Miss Hovland, I had a massive crush on Miss Hovland. Miss Hovland, right, saw that I had some skills in drawing. So she gave me the sketchbook, right? It was, it was a, like a, a just pencil sketchbook, right, of, of like first century Roman architecture. It was Beautiful. She borrowed it, and I brought it home, and it dropped. Well, overnight, I left that book by the window, and it rained. I woke up next morning, to my horror, to yellow water stains in this sketchbook. So little 12-year-old Peter is horrified, but little 12-year-old Peter is also very crafty and so I'm going I'm gonna hide this (laughs) so first I try to scrub it off by dabbing like a paper towel with water if I what do you think it worked no then guess what I did do you remember anybody remember whiteout remember whiteout does anybody remember typewriters typewriters (laughs) I got some whiteout (laughs) do you think it worked it looked even worse so then I'm going, I'm going to just rip this page out. Thankfully, I wasn't that stupid. I held on to that book for literally like seven days because I was so embarrassed and terrified of what Miss Hovland would say. And I hid it, and I hid Finally, after seven days, I went, I gave her the book and told her what happened. And I'll never forget the look of disappointment on her. Many of us are hiding some stains in our lives, aren't we? Matter of fact, some of you are terrified that somebody will find out about that stain. Can I just tell you something? This is why you need community. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may what? Be healed. There is healing when you are vulnerable and share about your stains in the context of loving people who say, I know everything about you, but I love you unconditionally. We're also terrified that it would disqualify us from God. If anyone could relate to that, do you know who it was? It was the disciple Matthew. Check this out. You guys, I just learned about this. Matthew. When we, when we encounter Matthew in, 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 in the Gospels, he had long ago said, I, I don't care about the stains. It doesn't matter. His friends and family had left him, and he was, a, if anything, a massive disappointment to his parents. You see, his parents had other plans for their son. Do you know what Matthew's other name was? Mark chapter 2. Here's what Mark says. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew's other name was what? Levi. Levi was the tribe from which what? 
the Levites or priests came from. Follow me. Matthew, from when he was like this, said, just like my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my father, I'm going to be a what? Priest in the temple. I'm going to be a spiritual leader for my people. That was Matthew. He would have had the first five books in the Old Testament memorized by age 12. But somewhere, we don't know what happened, somewhere along the way, something happened. Somewhere along the way, we don't know, something happened. And he what? He turned. Are you tracking with me? He turned. And by the time we encounter him in the Gospels, he's working as a what? Tax collector. Matthew, from a priest, Levitical priesthood, serving in the temple as a spiritual leader, is now a pariah. Tax collector is working for the oppressive Romans, stealing money from their very people. He was not even allowed in the temple court. Ceremony unclean. This is Matthew. This is Matthew. But here's the thing. You and I have some things in common with Matthew, don't we? They were disappointments to people. We certainly know we've fallen short. We've made mistakes. Romans 3 says, not a single person in here is without sin. We've done some things we shouldn't have. We've said some things we shouldn't have. And we can't, no matter how we try, scrub that stain off of our lives. So if this resonates with you, God. So imagine Matthew sitting at his tax booth like he was every. People staring at him, people hating on him. Sometimes I wonder, he looked up in the bedroom at night going, man, if I could go back and do it all over, anybody ever think that, if I can do it all over? And then that one day, he hears about this unconventional rabbi, some radical rabbi, and people are saying he might be the new prophet. The day that would change his life forever is that as he's sitting in that half place of Ruth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stops in front of him and says to Matthew what? Follow Me? Matthew, me, me? You don't know what I've done. You have no idea where I've been. You don't know the people that I've been with. And Jesus Christ says, I precisely know that's why I will come and live the life you should have lived and die the death that you should have died so that your sins can be cleansed whiter than snow. Is this good news to anybody? Do you know who can follow Jesus? Jesus says, anyone. Somebody who's made a mess of their lives? Anyone. A sordid sexual past? Anyone. Ex-con? Anyone. Current con? Anyone. Somebody went through a nasty divorce? Anyone. Republican? Anyone. Democrat? Anyone. Hypocrite? Anyone. Including you and me. Jesus says, you're all invited to follow. Is this good news to anybody? I know there's some of y'all sitting here going, me? He says, yeah, you. Come follow. Oh, this is such a me. I hope this never gets old to you. This is why 2,000 years later, you don't know Matthew as a traitor to his people and a tax collector. You and I know him as the guy who wrote the first gospel in the New Testament. His story is still being written. Your story is still being written. Listen, I don't, we don't do altar calls in this church for a number of reasons, but I want to tell you something. If there's somebody sitting here this morning and saying, I didn't know I was qualified. Me, after all I've done? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. Jesus' invitation is for you. Come follow me. But check this out. What was his response? He said immediately, he what? He followed him. Matthew knows that he is going to leave everything to follow Jesus. He's leaving his financial gain, his family, his friends. Following Jesus is for anyone, but it requires everything. Did you know that about Matthew? And that's so cool. So I can't read the book of Matthew the same anymore. When I read it, I think of that guy sitting in the tax collector's booth and Jesus saying, you follow me. What? Secondly, if anyone comes after me, following Jesus is a passionate, joyful pursuit. It is a passionate, joyful pursuit. 
Loving God with all of our hearts, minds, and soul requires labor, but it should be a labor of love. And Jesus gave an image and a picture of what this looks like when you follow Jesus by telling this parable, and I've alluded to it, Matthew 13. Do you remember Matthew 13? Here's, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, and then in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had and bought that field. And then he goes on, he says, and it's like what? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he in a way sold everything he had and he bought it. Here's the imagery, the context. People in those days didn't have things like banks and stuff like that. So here's what they did because of uncertainty of government and war. They buried their treasure. They buried their treasure in the ground. Anybody have relatives that hid like cash and like couches and stuff? Yeah, somebody I know. My, my parents sort of did that too, right? So people in the olden days would hide their treasure underneath the ground. So it was unusual that the owner of that would go to war and die. Then somebody else buys that field and he hires some people to plow the ground. So imagine uh, some hired hand is... <laughs> I was doing this with plowing last week, and somebody who grew up in a farm said, you don't plow, like, just hold still, just hold still, okay? So somebody, somebody's just plowing, and all of a sudden, and he gets out, and he goes, what, what? And he goes, he sees a treasure chest, and he says, what in the world? He digs it out, and then he puts it on the ground, and then he opens that treasure chest, and he sees hundreds of thousands of dollars of gems just glistening in the sea. Follow me. He's looking around going, did anybody see this? Anybody see this? Nobody saw it. He hides it. And the whole day, he can't even, he can't even pay attention because he's going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to So he goes home. He goes home. And he says, we're going to sell everything. We're going to sell like cows. We're going to sell oxen. We're going to sell this. We're going to sell everything. And his friends and family are like, are you crazy? What's happened to you? That's irrational. That's illogical. Who would do that? He sells everything because he knows that the investment he's about to make is nothing. It's everything compared to what he's about to lose. So he says, this is totally worth it. Sells everything that he has to buy that treasure. The question I've asked you for three weeks is, have you found the pearl of great price? Would your family, friends, and coworkers, would my family, friends, coworkers say about me, because of the passion to which I follow Jesus, the energy, the resources, the absolute total surrender I follow Jesus, people are saying about you and me, that's illogical, that's irrational, that's too much. When is the last time somebody said about you, your passion for Jesus, chill out a little bit because it's making me uncomfortable. Don't you think every follower of Jesus ought to have a story that says he's found the pearl of great pearl? Don't you think all of us ought to have some story where people go, what's he doing for Jesus? That's crazy. That's irrational. That's illogical. Who would do that? And a person says, someone who's found the pearl of great price. Following Jesus may cost me this relationship, but the love that I lose for Christ is nothing compared to the love that I will gain from Christ. The money that I give away, that's nothing compared to the treasure that I have in Christ. The career, the fame, all of that, take it or leave it. I, I have what I need. Can I just tell you something? Can I let you know a little secret about the Christian life? Jesus says that in his joy, he went and sold everything. Joy only comes to those followers of Jesus who've gone all in. Because you will not know the joy of following Christ until you realize that Jesus Christ is all that you need because Jesus Christ is all that you have. Do you know why so many of us are passionless and joyless? And I've said this before, we just want to be vaccinated with Jesus. It's flu season. Get that, just give me a little bit of Jesus. I don't want to catch the real thing. Just, a just enough so I don't go to hell. Just enough 
but I don't want the real thing. I want the pleasure of knowing Christ. I don't want the pain of living for Christ. Just give me a little bit. Those are some of the most miserable, joyless Christians I have met in 30 years. My question to you is, have you found the pearl of great price? How is this related to discipleship? I'll tell you exactly how. No one goes sadly and reluctantly into discipleship. Why? Discipleship is about learning from Jesus, how to follow him, how to learn from him. Even my nine-year-old knows you will never follow someone you don't trust. I'll say that again. Even my nine-year-old knows if I don't trust you, I ain't going to follow you. How in the world do you think you will be motivated to follow someone you do not trust with all of your heart? Do you know what's crazy to me? Say what, Peter? Do you know what the craziest, craziest, I will give everything, sell everything, I will drop everything to follow you. Do you know what the craziest that story is all of scripture? It is when the Son of God left heaven to come to earth to pursue you. Do you know why? Because you were the treasure of his heart. There's one, two people. Because Jesus Christ did that. Because he's going, you're the pearl of the great price. And I will pay anything to have you. And if that's not real to you, I'm just telling you straight up, unedited version. If that is not real to you, you will not follow him. We love Christ because he first loved us. It's when his extravagant love becomes real to me that I say, I will sell everything to follow you because you're worth it. Have you found the pearl of great price? <sighs> okay. <clears throat> now we got to go in because the last two are hard. Can I just get some encouragement? Can, can you all say, keep preaching, Peter? Come on, keep preaching. Okay, okay. The, the last two, okay? Here's the last two. So if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Total surrender. Let's just, let's just have a moment. Let's just all admit we hate the word deny. Let's just say it, right? We, come on, say it with me. We hate the word deny. Come on. We... we you hate it, I hate it, because we're bombarded every day with the messages that say it's all about you. So here's some. Let me, let me get us started, and then you help me out. Things like comfort yourself, indulge yourself. Help me out. What else? What? Treat yourself. What else? Entertain yourself. What else? You deserve it. Oh, that's a good one. You deserve it. What else? It's about me. Our world. You've, come on, guys. If you and I don't think we are affected by this message every day that says it's all about you, and here's the thing, the church has just whoop, gone into the consumer game and our gospel is Burger King, have it your way. I'm gonna tell you something, and I'm gonna be gentle and yet firm. If you are someone just kind of checking out our church, I want you to make this your home church, but, but, listen. If your attitude right now is, how's the worship? Man, I was a little too loud. I like the vocals, though. Boy, that preaching, why is he yelling at me? Why is he yelling all the time? Why is he screaming? My pastor back home was quiet. He lectured. Why is he screaming? Is the children ministry good? And you're looking around and going, are these people cool? What are these people like? I'm going to tell you right now in a loving way, this church probably will not be for you. Because here's the reason why. It's not because we don't care. It's because we care too much to let you believe that life is all about you. We care too much to let you think that you could have Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. We care too much about you to think, okay, that you can come and go as you wish. We care too much about you to think that you can grow without helping others grow. We care too much about you to think that Christian life is devoid of hardship and suffering. We care too much about you to think that you could follow Jesus without a cross. We care too much about you to let you think that this is all about you. Can I get an amen? amen. So you know what? Amen. 
Find a church that will actually preach the real Jesus and not the American version that says, have it your way. Because I ain't never going to stop doing this. So unlike consumerism, do you know what the most common word for a Christian in the New Testament is? It's the word doulos. You know what doulos means? Doulos means servant or bond servant. 130 times in the New Testament. Do you know what the word for Jesus as Lord is? Hundreds of times. It's the word kurios. Kurios. Do you know what kurios means? Master or Lord. And it was used of a literal master or Lord over a servant. Jesus drew the line when he said in Matthew 6, nobody could have two masters. You can't. And then he goes on. He goes, you will hate, hate, oh, and love. You'll be devoted. And then we remember Jesus saying crazy stuff like until you hate your mother and father, until you hate your brother and sister. What was he saying? He's saying your love for me has to be so far beyond anything else that when you compare that to your love for anybody else, it appears like hate. Jesus doesn't want to be your top priority he wants to be your one and only. Jesus doesn't want to be one of many. He wants to be your one and only. And let's be clear. It's not because Jesus is insecure, he's needy. The last thing he says in this is what? You will serve God or you will be enslaved to money. Do you know why he says be devoted to me? It's because he wants your freedom. It's because he wants your freedom. Nobody in this room is without a master. Quit fooling yourself. Nobody, not a single soul. You are enslaved to something. You live for something. You prioritize something. You give of your time and energy something. Nobody in this room is truly free. But can I ask you a question? Is that master as loving as Jesus? Is it as compassionate as Jesus? Is it as life-giving as Jesus? Is it as forgiving as Jesus? When you hear Jesus say, you cannot serve me and something else, it's not because he's an ego, he's insecure. He says, I want you to be free. Because that good thing becomes a God thing. And we spend our significance, worth, identity, and all of that. And we become enslaved. Matthew 19, some rich young, I was going to say punk, but rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's like, yo, what do I do in eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. And he goes, well, I did it all. And then Jesus says, well, sell everything that you have and then come follow me. And Jesus writes this. He what? He went away sad because he had great wealth. That verse is the strangest thing ever, if you're thinking. It literally saying he was sad because he was rich. Then we go, rich people aren't sad. Successful people aren't sad. Famous people aren't sad. People, you know why he's sad? Because he's not free. He's not free. How can you be free when the thing that you freely chose to do, now you can't do without? Freedom is take it or leave it. That doesn't define me. I'm good. Freedom is take it or leave it. That's not where I find meaning. I'm good. Freedom is take it or leave it. I have not put my eggs in that basket. I am good. Are you free? Am I free? Unlike the rich young ruler, the epitome, epitome of someone who understood surrender is a little teenage girl named Mary when angel comes and says, what? I want you to know that you will bear the son of God. She says this. Behold, I am the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be me according to your word. She's saying, whenever, wherever, however, let your will be done. There's no part-time service to Jesus. There's no such thing as negotiating the terms with your master. Listen, you can't say, I'll follow Jesus, but don't, sell me to, don't tell me to give up my possessions because I worked hard for that. 
Look, I'll follow Jesus, but you know what? Don't ask me to forgive that person because they don't deserve it. Look, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to be generous because I earned that. Look, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to move into that neighborhood. It's dangerous. Look, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me. And the list goes on and on and on. A follower of Jesus says, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. I'll follow you. Now show me where you want me to go. Now show me where you want me to go. But can I tell you something about my master? Say yes if you want to know. Yes. My master will provide for you. He owns a thousand, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He'll take care of your needs. My master will protect you. He says, quiet and the wind and the waves obey him. My master will forgive you. If your life has been shattered and ruined by sins, he is incredible at restoring and putting things back together. My master will restore you. Anybody exhausted and tired and worn out, he says, come to me, then I will give you rest. And here's the incredible thing about my master. At some point, he says, now you are no longer my servant. I call you son. I call you daughter. And I call you friend. Total surrender. So you can be free. Don't ask, am I happy? Ask, am I free? And then lastly, the most difficult of them all is carry the cross daily and come follow me. Carry the cross daily. <sighs> Let's play a little game. Let's play the slogan game. You know these slogans? Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Okay, next one. It's everywhere you want to be. Okay. The ultimate driving machine, I think that's decent. Just do it. Okay. It keeps going and going. I miss that little bunny. I miss that little bunny. Okay. You don't miss it? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. I miss it. I miss that. I miss that stupid bunny. Doom, doom. Keeps going, going. Hey, you're, you're in good hands with Allstate. Do you know what the slogan for a follower of Jesus is? It says, come. No one flocks to that slogan. We say, get me the heck out of here. Scientists talk about something called the survival instinct. So when your life is threatened, self-preservation kicks in. You go, oh no, 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 I, I'm not. Nobody in here, listen, will willingly lay down their life. Nobody in here will willingly choose to become less. No one here will willingly leave the throne of your life and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Nobody. And yet the call of Jesus is what? You want to come? Follow me? Die to yourself. Die to your selfish entitlements. Die to your ego that thinks you're the center of attention. Die to your comfortable preferences and conveniences. Die to you thinking that you are in control. Die to yourself. Because it's the only way that you'll truly live. Die to yourself. And he points to the most repulsive, offensive symbol to the Jews in the first century. Romans invented crucifixion as a way to humiliate and also just torture their victims. And Jesus says, here's what it means to follow me. First of all, it is a symbol of suffering. Can I just say something? There's no comfortable way to carry a cross. I'm going to say that again. There's no comfortable way to carry a cross. I'm going to say it one more time. There is no comfortable way to carry a cross. It's going to cost you something. There is this junk theology that I just, it, it, 
few things get me more upset as a Christian pastor than junk theology that says, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you will not face hardship or suffering. That is utter foolishness, is that millions of people in this country have believed this lie, this junk garbage theology that says, if you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, that you will not go through hardship and suffering. The freedom that Christ earns for me is not freedom from pain and suffering, it's freedom in pain and suffering. It's freedom from bitterness and suffering. It's freedom from self-pity when I go through hard times. It's freedom from anger. It's freedom from self-absorption. It's freedom from me when I go through pain and hardship. So if you are sitting here and you are going through hard times, there's nothing wrong with you. You just might be following him. You just might be. And there's... So many scripture passages that talk about how you can't follow him without a cause. Here's just one of them. I just found one for time's sake. Here's one. Can you put that up, please? Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name because you follow the Son of God. And in Philippians, it says this. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in him, I get all the benefit, but you have the privilege of what? So here's a question. I'm almost done. Is it costing you anything to follow Jesus? Is it costing you and me, followers of Jesus, is it costing us anything? When's the last time following Jesus cost you your time, your resources, your energy? When is the last time following Jesus meant that you were mocked for your faith? When is the last time following Jesus cost you your comfort? Comfort, the thing that we're addicted to, the thing that we're addicted to. Comfortpedic. We want you to be comfortable in your chair, in your bed, on your pillow, on the airplane. At leisure, at leisure. <laughs> we don't just have workout clothes now and comfortable clothes. No, we want you to be super comfortable 24 seven. So we're gonna combine them and call it at leisure. When is, when is the last time following Jesus cost you anything and me anything? When is the last time following Jesus meant that you went to uncomfortable places, you did uncomfortable things? When is the last time following Jesus meant sacrifice for you? Can you really say we're following him and carrying a cross if there's no sacrifice and cost? It wasn't just a symbol of suffering, it was a symbol of death. Dead man walking. Somebody came across, you knew that dude, he's not coming back. This may resonate with you, may not, but you know, what I, you know what I observed about dead people? Dead people don't care about what other people think. Can I get an amen? Aren't you tired and exhausted from constantly going, what do they think about me? What do they think about me? What do they think You know what else? Dead people don't care about how much money is in their bank account. You know why? Because they're dead. Aren't you tired and exhausted from finding your security and your wealth? <laughs> that people don't care about promotions and their work. Aren't you exhausted from putting all your eggs in the basket of I am what I do, 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 I am what I do. Maybe Jesus is onto something when he said it's only when you die that you can begin to live. Maybe it's when we begin to lay down our lives, not just for us, but for another. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life, what? For another. Maybe, because here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm almost, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. When I talk to people, the most honest people, they will say, I've got everything, but they'll say, self-absorbed life about me is empty. And I'm real quiet, and my head's on the pillow. Living for me, my life begins to feel small, insignificant, meaningless. Do you know why? Because you're not making a difference to anybody. And Jesus says, you want to really live? 
Maybe it's laying down your life for somebody. So maybe dying to yourself for some of us means we take some time from our workday or lunch hour to serve the homeless neighbors in open arms. Maybe dying to ourselves means that spare bedroom in our house, when we walk by it next time we go, God, is there someone that could occupy that? Maybe an orphan overseas. Dying to yourself may mean you forgive that spouse who you think has robbed you of the marriage that you think you deserve. Dying to yourself means that we don't move to be closer to our grandparents because it's just easier to be near my parents. And we say, I commit to the city. Dying to yourself may mean may mean you don't just give 10% of your income to God's causes, but you bump that to 20. What does dying to yourself mean for you? What does it mean for me? And can we really say we're carrying the cross and following him if we are not dying? Do you really believe him when he says, it's when you die to yourself that you'll live? Or do you believe the lie of the world that says, live, man, for you? Where do you get the motivation to do this? Do you know what the next verse is in Luke 9, 24? For whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Where do you get the motivation to die to yourself, to deny yourself? Where do you get the motivation to passionately pursue after him? He says, whoever loses it, what? On account of me, for me, because of me. You can do this when you have said, I have found the pearl of great price. I have found the treasure. I have found what I've been looking for. I have the thing that I need. Jesus is what I need. Take everything else. Give me Jesus. Everything else, give me Jesus. I will lose everything if I can have you. If I can have you, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I can do this. Because I found the pearl of great price. Have you found the pearl of great price? Do you know why you're all here? Because it's Sunday and we show up at 10. No, do you know why you're all here? Because when I was 16 years old, a man named John Lee Share the gospel with me. I grew up in the church, been a church kid all my life. And I thought I was that punk kid, you know, that was like, I know everything. I, can you, you could see that, right? Like, yeah, we could totally see you like that. I was like, no, oh, you know, at church. And one day, John, who, who, by the way, I had grown up with, you know, a few older than me. He was a moody student, by the way. And I had noticed changes in him. This guy just went from just, just being just out in the world to all of a sudden, like, there's something... And it was, it was almost freaky, like the transformation. He started carrying his Bible everywhere. Every other word was Jesus, this, Jesus, that, Jesus, this. He started listening to a guy named Keith Green. Does anybody named Keith? Remember Keith Green? Keith Green. I'm like, what the heck is this? Keith Green. He's, and this guy was just like whirlwind. One day he goes, Peter, come here. He grabs me into this classroom. He sits down. He goes, he did that. He said, if you die tonight, where do you think you'll go? And nobody had ever asked me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Then he went on and shared the gospel of what it meant to follow him. He said, church, kid don't, church kids will not go to heaven just because you're religious. He says, it is when you give your life to him and follow him. And I'll never forget that, 16 years old. It didn't mean that I followed Jesus perfectly. It didn't mean I strayed, I did all kinds of things. But there was a pivotal moment because I was awestruck by this guy. Then in 1989, I went on a mission trip to Africa. And I came back to the news that he had been, <sighs> he drowned and died on a mission trip in the Amazon. I was so angry at God. I was so angry at God. I was so angry at God that for months I refused to visit his grave. 
Many months later, I finally did. And I literally just knelt in front of his gravestone and just wept. Because do you know what his gravestone said? He, along with the Lord, is why you're here and why I'm a pastor today. He took a young 16-year-old kid, didn't know anything, thought he knew it all, and said, I will pour into you. What is it costing you to follow Jesus? Cece, you can come on out. Can I just... Before the worship team comes out, remember what I said earlier. You didn't know where I was going with this sermon, but I did. And I had this gut feeling, I can't just, after this, you know, put a bow on this sermon, pray a prayer and sing a song and move out. I, I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. But you know, and I believe God knows. Will you spend just even, just a couple minutes. Just sitting with what you've heard, what you've sensed, what you've experienced. What does this mean for me?
discipleship. May it be a joyful, passionate pursuit. May we be a church where we are willing to give everything that we have because in Christ we have everything that we need. He is the pearl of great price. follow you with everything we have with everything that we are 